Listening to the coffee hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Monday. That means it is time for Mental Health Monday in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting the coffee hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. It is time for Mental Health Monday. We are continuing our conversation in Emotions and the Gospel. Great resource, great book from Concordia Publishing House and our regular Monday guest for Mental Health Mondays, Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. Emotions and the Gospel. We've been working through some forgotten emotions of the Bible. And last week, we took a look at indignation. Today, we take a look at contempt. Now, maybe I should not sound so like cheery when I talk about that. <laughs> it is true that it's helpful to match your like, well, we don't have the visual cues, right? But it may be our tone, like with the topic. But at the same time, like, I mean, I feel like you have to stay somewhere in the like, this is a helpful topic, like kind of realm of contempt discussion instead of like not. Today we'll be speaking about contempt. All right. <laughs> jazz hands, Everybody as cheer. my daughter says. Not everything needs jazz hands, mom. So true. <laughs> Exactly. There's balance. Emotional soup. All right. So contempt. What are some of the forms of contempt that we might experience in life? Does it take on different forms? You know, I think it's interesting because just like the emotion soup conversation that we keep having is I think it's especially helpful to to consider the other emotions that we see within contempt, because I do think those are also forms of contempt. They, they're attached to these other emotions and then they tend to kind of like move out from one of them, if you will. So one is pride. Uh, we have this sense of pride, almost what I would consider therapeutically to be overconfidence. Like there's, there's a place for confidence that's part of seeing self. There's certain things we're good at. There's certain things that we are maybe even experts in. There's certain things that is in our lane, if you will. But there's also a place where we lack a humility as a human before God and other people. We lack the humility to be corrected at times, but also we don't have certain lanes. Like I'm not an expert on, I don't know, viruses. Like that's not my thing. I'm not an expert on square dancing. I don't know, but like staying in my lane and that pride associated appropriately with both what I actually know about and my own experiences as well as like my areas of study, if you will, that I have learned about and speaking to that rather than like feeling like I need to be smart about everything that I need to know about everything, which is just what happens on the internet, correct? All the time. <laughs> we have to be really, actually, I would speak out to say that we need to be a little extra questioning this at Lutheran. As L, in Lutheran church, Missouri Senate land, at least I'll speak to, but I think I've seen this in many different Lutheran denominations or mainline denominations even. We tend to be a little bit educated as a bunch. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. then sometimes when you have a little education, you think you're kind of an expert in everything. So we need to be a little careful of that. And also, again, just humility before God, that he is God and we are not. We don't know everything and there's lots of mystery and we're always learning and growing, that kind of idea. So pride can be one lane that contempt goes down, if you will. Another one is-ness is what I would call it. It's different than righteousness, but it is related to, like on our last episode, we talked about self-righteousness, right? This idea that, first of all, there's a right way and we know it, <laughs> that I am 
the one with the answer here. And my way is better than your way. And failing to hold that many things have multiple answers to them. Praise the Lord. Good job, God, for giving us lots of choice and agency and free will and all of life and stuff. And that truth is truth, but there are a lot of areas of life that we can over apply an idea of rightness or me understanding that truth entirely or completely or how I apply it being absolutely the be all end all. And so I think those are two facets of it. Okay, in that, I think you could hear this third form of contempt that I think is just very, very destructive. And that is what I would call squashing, where we, we really put other people down. Like that we are not just prideful in ourselves or we feel right, that we are turning against people in our contempt. We are elevating ourselves, but we are also squashing or pushing people down, whether that is on purpose, consciously or subconsciously. It's very destructive. I think this this feels like confession hour for me a little bit because like del- delight was like my favorite pleasant and happy kind of emotion. And this one, this chapter on contempt is like super convicting, right? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is one that I know very well that I'm, I'm very good at this one. And that's probably not a good thing. But it it seems so easy to fall into this as human mm-hmm. beings and as people, you know, who like to to know things and be knowledgeable. It's so easy to fall into this trap of mm-hmm. of I'm right and you're wrong and my way is the only way to do things properly. Mm-hmm. And if that means that yours isn't. So this feels yeah. very familiar. What does this mm-hmm. do to our relationships with people when when we mm-hmm. when we sink into this? The soup of contempt. You know, the the Gottman's research, John and Julie Gottman at Gottman.com, they have done all this research through the University of Washington and then their own organization, but they call it one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse of relationship. Boy. So in marriage in particular, but I do see this apply, especially to, to friendship and to other intimacies, that this is one way we get to the end faster. by throwing contempt onto other people. It's interesting because we'll talk about the details of contempt a little bit more because there are like nonverbal ways of expressing contempt as well as verbal. It's not always stated, not always spoken. It's some other ways that we throw it out there. I think one foundational thing that's important when we talk about emotions in the gospel is that one thing that makes contempt so dangerous or destructive or difficult, it is not one that we see God expressed in scripture. And that's really telling, right? That means I think, I mean, I I don't want to overspeak and say that there's the complete absence then of perfect contempt in some way, but I do think it's a, like a little bit of a push toward that. If I do not see God expressing that at all in the story of his salvation across the word of God, then I have to start to wonder, where where that has a place in my life. I actually really communicated with Dr. Nathan Jastrom at Concordia University of Wisconsin, Live Uncommon, about this in particular because I he has research in this idea of especially God's love and hate in the Old Testament. He's an Old Testament scholar. And I was curious about the connection between that, God's hate, and whether that was expressing of some kind of contempt. Was it related to this emotion? And, you know, it 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 is... It is not, I don't think. Like in God's 
love and hate, which I think you have to hold together in law and gospel, even in God's anger and wrath, God does not throw contempt onto humankind, which contempt is a devaluing, remember. Instead, God Mm -hmm. stays in that steadfast love, that steadfast value and worth of people And that salvation is for everyone, no matter how messy they are. And that's really important, I think, to note. That's a little bit different about this emotion than many of the other ones we see in Scripture. Is there anything that feeds contempt or enables or helps it to grow? Yeah, I think perceptions, especially is a big word here. My perception is always skewed, and I need to be really aware of that. That's a place of humility to understand that I don't, Whatever lens I'm wearing, it is only my lens and it's not the full picture. I'm not God after all. And so our perceptions can be very, very skewed or even just a little skewed. And then that's going to impact my ideas, my thoughts, my behaviors, my feelings, the way I interact with people. And so being aware of our perceptions is really going to help in being able to monitor that idea of contempt in our life. And if you look at one line, I know like I referenced the Gottman research, they have an antidote to contempt in relationships that they talk about. And I can't remember what it is. You can Google that or internet search that. But what I would say is the the antidote to things in our life as Christians is grace, is compassion, is God's work in us. And so contempt really is about that old Adam, right? We, I think contempt is one of those places where we just see the old Adam very clear that I think my way is right. And I think this is so easy, you guys, in 21st century America. Like our culture has really come to a place of there's a right and there's a wrong and I'm on the right. And you likely are on the wrong, especially if you're on the internet. <laughs> so, you know, like I think that being aware that the culture around us then also, to your question, Andy, is really playing into those perceptions and even maybe twisting them for us at times and and leaving us with a sense that we are an indignance that's actually self-righteousness. If I will reference the last episode we went to and send people back there that we just talked about last week. That yeah, I'm not, you know, who's right? God. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> like, I try my best, you know, and I think understanding that we're all humans, navigating the world, learning and growing and just really turning to scripture over and over again for what God has to say about things in life with that posture of humility. Like, show me God. I don't know. I'm imperfect. And even when I think I have the answer, it's still an imperfect perception and version of the answer, that goes a long way, I think, in protecting our relationships from contempt. So you mentioned that there are verbals, nonverbals. What are some of those ways that contempt boils out of our human nature? (laughs) So contempt, I mean, my favorite one is the eye roll. (laughs) Oh, yes. That's my favorite, like nonverbal, right? Because it's also like... my uh, someone once asked me, can there be like healthy eye rolls? And I think mm. it's kind of right there with healthy sarcasm. Like mm. there can be when it's communicated in the relationship as a mutual like trust and conversation piece, right? Like that there's an understanding, a silliness, even maybe a playfulness to it. But without that, it's eye rolls in particular are a source of contempt or read, I should say, as contempt to our 
our nervous systems. That's the way our brain perceives it, that there's something wrong with me. And eye roll basically says, what were you thinking? Like, you are clearly wrong here. You have no idea. And I clearly am in the know and you are not. That is the opposite in scripture of contempt that I see often is honor Mm -hmm. that people, we as people really desire that sense of honor and not in this like unholy way, like we are not God again, but to be honored among each other, even it talks about in the New Testament letters, right? That we have this sense of um, kindness and, and that you are valued and worthy and special. And especially in the body of Christ, in Christ Jesus, I want to bring that sense and awareness to you because that's what he bestows on you on the cross and by dying and rising for you. And so, yeah, the eyebrows just don't do that. <laughs> they just don't. <laughs> but I think you can kind of see that. Sarcasm actually is also similarly, like I said, a form of contempt when it's not understood in that playfulness and communication. And that's something in relationships to kind of regularly check in on. You know, I think if you are a playfully sarcastic person, I I am, I'll take take one for the team and say that's definitely one of my forms of communication and, and even love languages in some snark and maybe some witty banter with people. But I think that that you have to check in on that occasionally. I'm like, wait, did you, you know, I, I obviously think the world of you and I want you to know that you're precious and loved and valued. And I meant it within that context. And I'm the disarming honesty person, like say it, <laughs> just say it out loud and say those things out loud. Um, that will help people process away from contempt then more and more. Hostile criticism. So there's a difference, right, between correction and accountability and criticism. And so criticism is one thing that can be really easily read as contempt. Again, without the relational underpinning, the kindness, the care, the compassion, and things wrapped around it. Well, thankfully, I'm never sarcastic. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that I don't have to do that. Okay. <laughs> it's Mental Health Monday. We are taking a look at emotions in the gospel. Today's topic is contempt. We'll continue the conversation right here on the Coffee Hour in just a moment. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Got a few eye rolls when I told everyone that I was not sarcastic. Oh yes, major eye rolls there. <laughs> it is Mental Health Monday. We are in emotions and the gospel with Heidi Gaiman taking a look at the emotion contempt in a short series on forgotten emotions of the Bible. But why did we forget contempt? Why did we forget at least how to put a word, <laughs> a name on it? Right. I know. I'm really actually thankful to like the Gaiman research because we do 
this is such a biblical one, you guys. <laughs> it's very clear in scripture when it shows up. I actually found it myself and I found it to be quite like life changing. I would even venture to say in my own study when I was doing a lot of work, especially with ministry wives and trying to understand marriage and particularly the ministry marriage of, you know, wives and husbands that one of them served in the church and both served in the church and some things that were happening there and how to communicate with one another about that church work and then also the stuff in the home and all of that. But in, in researching, I looked to David and McCall. And it's just a really interesting passage that speaks very strongly about the concept of contempt and how it destroys. It just can suck the life out of a room very quickly and out of a person. And this is that really famous story of David dancing before the Lord and McCall coming to him. And you have to be careful, right? When you're talking about emotions in scripture, because it's really tempting to read it a certain way. And so I don't want to read more contempt because, but it does, it does utilize that language here. So, so I think it's one of those passages where we get a little bit more of the emotional information. But McCall in 2 Samuel 6 says to David, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Like, I mean, you could just tell in both the verbal there, the thing she says, right? Vulgar, shameless, and that sarcastic almost use of honor. Like she takes the opposite of contempt and utilizes it. It's, it's, not, it's like a little manipulative in some ways when we use sarcasm in that way to hurt other people. And David then responds. And I mean, I don't know if he responded with anger or if he just responded very non-judgmentally. I don't know his tone. I don't know either of their tones. But it's interesting to me, his response is, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be based in your eyes but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. So do you see that relationship of honor and contempt in that passage back and forth? And so David's saying, like, your opinion here in my worship doesn't matter. And I think that that's one way, first of all, when contempt does come in our lives that we can respond is getting recentered on whose opinion matters most. God's. And that there are people's also opinion we respect in our lives. This is why it's really dangerous in family. You guys, the concept of contempt is because they are people of intimacy with us. So we do want to be able to elevate their opinion a little bit over other people's, not above God's, but above other people's. You know, we do have those relationships that are gifts from God's. So when a contempt is part of our home, it really tears up the safety of our relationships. And it makes us harder for us to have really secure and solid attachments in life and, and in other relationships, be able to read the kind of relationship that we deserve or are valuable enough for. You know, this is how people end up when they're victims of abuse to be more likely to be in an abusive relationship. Because if a contempt is what you read, it seems so normal to you. Honor doesn't seem normal to you. It seems far away. And so I, I really appreciate that David uses that word, I will be more contemptible. If that's if that the way if that's the way this is going to be, if God would call this contempt, and remember that's not something God does, but if he would call this contempt, I'm choosing what God chooses 
instead. And that's just a very grounding thing, I think, in a world that's full of contempt, like we just talked about, too, in 21st century America. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you said a lot there. Sorry. I usually do. <laughs> no, sorry. I know it's it's good. All that stuff with with relationships and what, what it means when when we have this kind of emotion in our like family of origin or in our families and what that means for the relationships that we build outside of that, there's a lot of good stuff there. You also mentioned shame. What is that relationship between contempt and shame? So contempt, it, it is, it brings shame. Like it hands it over like a package. Like, here you go, hold this for me. And I think that's one reason why when we haven't kind of dealt with our own stories and our own gunk, we're accidentally more likely to bring things like contempt to people and because we're so desperate to hand off our shame. Like it feels really junky. How do I get rid of it? Oh, here you go. You hold it. It mm. reminds me of a real Adam and Eve moment where Adam's like, well, this woman you gave me like ate the fruit. Like it's not me, right? That <laughs> blame and contempt are kind of closely knit. The shame and contempt are, are right there. And so instead of holding people in honor, and even saying like, wow, I just really disagree with her. I don't think that's the way I see the world, right? Or, or whatever else goes into that, we, we choose shame. We choose to act like their opinion doesn't have a place, that they're not welcome here. And that's essentially, that's the other part of contempt is it's absent of warmth. It takes any warmth that was in the relationship and kind of seeps it out, right? And it does feel cold. You can read that. In, in between the lines almost between David and McCall, right? There's, there's no warmth there. There's this other instance that I talk about in the book, in the book of Acts, actually, where Paul is responding and he's trying to bring honor back into the room or respect is another word, back into the room so the communication can be done. And I think this happens in meetings and stuff all the time, even in churches. And we need to be aware of that or in arguments between friends or spouses or on social media. How do we bring respect back in? Because that would be one of the things we can do as believers, I think, to bring light and shine light is to bring the respect back when there's been kind of contempt, either accidentally or unpurposely strewn around. And in that there's healing and the shame transformed to grace, right? So that's in the book of Acts. Um, I'll just read this little section. As the apostles and early church leaders worked to spread the gospel, they encountered persecution in many forms. In one instance, the contempt of both the Roman authorities and the high priest Ananias is clear in their physical assaults. They're like, you'll hear this in this. So this is, again, the physicality of contempt, but also the verbalization of it is present in this passage. How does Paul bring, I mean, with physical assaults, how does Paul bring respect back into the room? Acts 23, one through five. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, oh, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. So Paul, and this is like one of those horrible, like turn the other cheek kind of actual instances that I just can't even imagine trying to be Paul in this, right? Like, <laughs> I'm, especially, you know, I'm a, 
you know, seven, eight on the Enneagram. And I, I like to go into a situation like really high energy. And I would have that response of Paul of like, you whitewashed wall. Like, what are you doing? Are you sitting in judgment? And, you know, but then Paul finds out that he's someone to be respected. And, you know, Paul was Jewish himself. Like this would have meant something to him. And he instead takes this extreme humility almost. And I'm not saying we need to hate extreme humility in all instances, but in this instance, it's something he uses to say, I, I didn't know. Like he's going to be the person who takes the different road, right? I'm not going to keep this going and perpetuating this. Instead, he says, like, if I'm going to ask you to keep the law as it's written and call you out on it, I'm going to I'm going to like rewind and do that myself, which is just wild. Good job, Paul. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> Contempt in emotions and the gospel. Ah, great insights. Thanks so much, <laughs> Heidi, for spending time with us again. And uh, I'm trying to remember what, what one we get to next week. Perplexity. Ooh, I'm excited. Yes, perplexity, which is a, a real thinking emotion. I think that'll be fun. Ooh. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Always great to chat with you. Hey, thanks for having me. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.